السلام عليكم ورحمة الله. إن شاء الله before we start the question and answers, I'll just ask both the stars if they can give us five takeaways from each of the stories where you know we can implement them in our lives, take them as nasiha. Five takeaway points where you know the students can note down and إن شاء الله take it forward. بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا ما بعد. So from my side of the seminar or from my segment of the seminar, five points that you can you can take home, inshallah. The first of them, the importance of following the prophets and the messengers and taking examples and lessons from their lives. So we've, this entire seminar has been about two of the noble prophets and, and worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Yunus and Ayyub alayhim salam And the fact that we can learn so much from the lives of the prophets and from the difficulties that they face. So my first one is taking a lesson and an example from the lives of the prophets and the messengers. The second one that I have from my side of the seminar is the how, how can I express it in a, in a few words? The importance of Tawheed and the statement of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. And the fact that it is the key to every kind of happiness and it is the escape from every kind of difficulty. So that is the importance of Tawheed and the statement of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. My third one, joining between Tawheed and Tawbah. This is my third one. So you're not just bringing Tawheed, but you're also bringing Tawheed and you're bringing Tawbah, repentance. Tawheed and Tawbah. The oneness of Allah and repentance. I'm bringing them both together. My fourth one, that Dua is of two types. Each one encompasses the other. Dua is of two types. Each one of them encompasses the other. And that is dua al-ibadah and dua al-mas'ala. Dua of worshipping Allah. Where you're effectively making dua through the worship that you do. And the second is asking Allah Azza wa Jal directly. When you ask Allah directly, you are worshipping Him. And when you worship Him implicitly, you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was my fourth one. And my fifth one, I have to make a decision now which of them I'm going to put in. That's not the more. Everything. <laughs> that every one of us has a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according 
to our iman and according to the extent that we fulfill la ilaha illallah. And the more we know Allah and the greater we connect with Allah in that regard, the more likely it is that we are going to find relief from our hardships in the dua that we make. So that is that the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you build through knowing Him and through worshipping Him alone, the stronger that connection is, the greater the outcome will be when you use it in making dua. Well, I could have chosen a lot of different ones, but I just thought those were the five that just came to my mind. Like in the beginning, otherwise, you know, the, the nature of the work of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is that in every paragraph and in every sentence, you can take five points of immense benefit. But those were five that just, you know, stuck in my head. Um, as for me, I think, inshallah ta'ala, are we, am I allowed to mention some of, the th- some of the points that he mentioned? Or is it new? New five. Okay, the first one I would say is connecting ourselves to reading the biography of the righteous people. Prophets, scholars, and giving time out to that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ and we just mentioned in the story of Nabiullah Ayyub Allah wa ta'ala he says a reminder for the slaves so in the Prophet's life it will lift you up we mentioned that in the lecture that these people's lives when we read it it gives cure to our hearts. And when we leave it, we turn on our hills. Number two is the role that the two partners can play in aiding one another in patience. Nabiullah Ayyub, how his wife helped him. And she supported him and she aided him through that moment of hardship. And the fact that Ibn Mulaqin and others mentioned that this is generally more on the women's side that they are patient towards the suffering of the man that we inshallah ta'ala should change that as men and be more patient through the moments and times that our spouse, our wives are going through hardship suffering from problems and we mentioned the story of Nabilah Ayyub on that regard and Hajara when she said to Nabilah Ibrahim Allahu amaraka bihada and when he said yes she said idha la yudayyu'un Allah Allah will not forsake us Righteous wife. Number three, the pondering over the Quran. I think the Quran has a lot of our answers. وَلِذَلِكَ مُحَمَدِ الْأَمِينِ الشَّنْقِيَطِيهُ He said, مَنْ أَرَادَ الدُّنْيَا فَلْيَتَعَلَّمِ الْقُرْآنِ وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةِ فَلْيَتَعَلَّمِ الْقُرْآنِ وَمَنْ أَرَادَهُمَا فَلْيَتَعَلَّمِ الْقُرْآنِ Anyone who wants the dunya, let him learn the Qur'an. Anyone who wants the hereafter, let him learn the Qur'an. Anyone who wants both of them, let him learn the Qur'an. Wallahi, that's the truth. The Qur'an has... In this Qur'an, يَهْدِي لِلَّتِي هِيَ أَقْوَمُ وَيُبَشِّرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ الصَّالِحَاتِ أَنَّ لَهُمْ أَجْرًا حَسَنًا The Qur'an has what? Has everything that we're looking for. Every solution, every problem that we have, the Qur'an has... How many points did I mention? Three. Four, 
the things that can prevent your dua being accepted. Study that. The preventing factors that can prevent a person's dua being accepted. We mentioned رجل يطيل السفر أشعة أغبر يمد يديه إلى السماء يا رب يا رب ومطعمه حرام وملبسه حرام وغضيه بالحرام أنا يستجاب لذلك. But we said this man came with many of the reasons for his dua to be accepted. He said يا رب. He raised his hand. He was a musafir. He did إلحاح الدعاء مع ذلك. Just because one factor was in place, which was what? Aklul Haram. It prevented him from what? It prevented from his dua being accepted. So study the shurud dua conditions of dua, and matters pertaining to the dua. Number uh, five, which is the last one, misk. <laughs> the fifth one. You have an idea, Mr. Muhammad? <laughs> We took a lot of benefits again. Yeah. I think we should tell them about the benefit in learning these two, these two specific, the two specific uh, study dua. Two, uh, those two specific dua that came. That one, La ilaha illa anta subhanak, inni kuntu min al and the dua of Ayyub, Nimassani al-Dur, wa anta arhamur rahimin. And that everyone here should have learned them, memorized them, and used them, and what they implied, not just used them. Not just like spoken them, but actually learned what they implied and have actually memorized those to us and teach them to our children, to our families, and implemented them in our lives. I was mentioning something this morning. I said something this morning, which was Surah Al Fatiha, we read, right? And in Surah Al Fatiha, there's Ihdina Sirat Al Mustaqim in there, right? Correct? Do you all know the hadith of the Prophet and Bukhari and Muslim both narrated in hadith Abi Huraira that when the person says Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Allah says Hamadani Abdi it's a discussion and it's a dialogue between Allah and that when the person says Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqim what does Allah say? If the person says Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqim what does Allah say in response? We told them to this in the lecture also they were not saying This is for the servant Ah, Jameel. هَذَا بَيْنِ وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِي وَلِعَبْدِي مَا My slave will be given what he? So if a person says, إِهْدِنَا الصَّلَاةَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Allah is going to give them? Question is, why are there some people who say, إِهْدِنَا الصَّلَاةَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ And Allah does not guide them. This brings us to the point that me and Muhammad were mentioning. Which is, some people may say the dua of Nabilah Yunus, but the depression and sadness may not be lifted from them. Why? So it's see, as Sheikh Muhammad mentioned, it's not mujarrad al-aqwal, it's not words that you just utter. Idina Sirat al-Mustaqim is not just saying it. There's something before that that you have to do. There are conditions that you have to meet. And then these things take place. So that's why it's vital when you hear the Prophet say, anyone who does this, they will get this. What do you have to know? There are conditions. There are prerequisites that you need to come with. And conferences and lectures like this, they would enlighten you with those topics. Uh, we'll open up the floor for questions and answers. Uh, there are volunteers on each side with mics. Uh, if you can put your hands up and uh, we'll have the question. I think by the time they're thinking, I have a question for you. Start. Uh, how do we know that the punishment or the trial we are facing 
is because of our sins or Allah is increasing our status as all the prophets were not tested because of sins. Okay, in this, to give a very, you know the thing with Q&A is that the answer should be, instead of giving the answer as a lecture, the answer should be like very short. So my answer is, it depends on how you respond. If you are tested, with everything in your life is a test. Every good, every good that comes to you, every problem you face, every moment of happiness and every moment of sadness, all of it is a bala, all of it is a test from Allah. Every single bit of it. How do you know whether that test is intended to bring about, and if it's bringing about good for you or if it's bringing about a punishment for you? By how you respond. If your response is that you, this is bringing you closer to Allah and you take advantage of this hardship to get near to Allah, this is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given this to you. And if you see that any good or any hardship that you're going through is pulling you away from Allah, then that's a time when you need to recognize and come back. But at the end of the day, as we mentioned regarding prophets and sins, uh, we discussed regarding the fact that a prophet may fall into a sin, but with certain conditions. We said it would be an innocent mistake, and we said that uh, it would be corrected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it would not involve the, 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 uh, the messengership or the revelation being corrupted, and that it would not be an endorsement of the sin. And we spoke about this. Can we do shirk without knowing? And what are the steps we can take to avoid it? Can we do shirk without knowing? And what are the steps that we can take to avoid it? Now, the Prophet ﷺ, he told us that there is a form of shirk which he said, Akhwafu ma akhafu li ummati. That which I fear the most for my ummah is shirkul asghar. I fear for my ummah. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, This shirk is harder to be detected than a, a black ant in a dark night under a rock. So it's something that's hidden. وَلِذَلِكَ Sometimes we have within us evil traits. They only come out at the times of what? عِدَّ mihan, Times of hardship. I want you to remember this. Your heart sometimes is sick. You don't recognize it's sick. You only recognize when it's sick at the times when the calamities come. You didn't realize it before. You didn't nurture it properly. So, la shak, there can be a form of shirk, especially shirk al-asghar, not akbar. Shirk al-asghar, which a person may be falling into, like a riyah, showing off. Some of the salaf, they used to see a person do something, and they used to say that this is a type of riyah, showing off. So the person may not think that they're doing showing off, or they're not intending to do it. And it could be something that's coming from them. Naam. Like, amma shirk al-akbar, this is something that comes with how, how, yes, how we can get how can we avoid it the first one is to know the definition and the reality of ikhlas and the meaning of ikhlas the poet he said ikhlasuna lillahi saffi al-qalba min iradati siwahu fahdhar ya fatin the person cleanses the heart from what any intent and any individual other than Allah nobody lives in your heart except Allah azza wa jalla 
That's the reality. Anyone who gets into your heart other than Allah Azza wa Jalla, this is now a problem. ولذلك الله سبحانه ومن الناس ومن الناس من يتخذ من دون الله أندادا يحبونهم كحب الله والذين آمنوا أشد حبا لله ولو يرى الذين ظلموا إذ يرون العذاب أن القوة لله جميعا سورة النساء الله تبارك وتعالى هي سيس فكيف إذا جئنا من كل أمة بشهيد وجئنا بك على هؤلاء شهيدا يومئذ يود الذين كفروا وعصوا الرسول لو تسوى بهم الأرض ولا يكتمون الله حديثا they made equal to Allah Azza wa Jal. Some of the scholars, they said, يَوْمَئِذِ يَوَدُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَعَسَوُ الرَّسُولَ لَوْ تُسَوَّى بِهِمُ الْأَرْضِ وَلَا يَكْتُمُونَ اللَّهَ حَدِيثًا is a people who showed in their hearts somebody other than Allah, inside their heart. So cleanse your heart from anyone other than Allah Azza wa Jal. And don't let anyone else live in your heart other than Allah Azza wa Jal. Okay. And we have the sister's sign. Assalamu alaikum. This is related to the hadith said by Ustad Tim uh, about seeking ruqya. What are the conditions of seeking ruqya or are we not allowed to seek ruqya from, from others? Okay. So we mentioned uh, this is an example of completion of tawheed. Uh, and we mentioned an example that tawakkul in itself is not... Uh, as Shaykh Rasam Taymiyyah mentioned, it's not the foundation here. This is an example of completing and perfecting a person's iman. And the sister is asking with regard to the element of the hadith which mentions, They are those people who do not seek ruqya. The first thing that we have to say, say is that seeking ruqya may be wajib upon someone. Based on the principle مَا لَا يَتِمُّ الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ فَهُوَ وَاجِبُ If something is stopping you from achieving your basic rules of Islam, your basic obligations in Islam, meaning because of your affliction you cannot pray, because of your affliction you cannot, uh, you do not have your intellect, you're not able to worship Allah, then in that case it is wajib for a person to do everything in their ability to get that problem away, including seeking ruqya and the Prophet ﷺ permitted seeking ruqya, not only doing ruqya, but also seeking ruqya in the hadith uh, of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the hadith of Asma radiallahu anha regarding the children of Ja'far, that they, are afflict, that they were afflicted by the evil eye and the Prophet ﷺ advised her to seek ruqya for them. So the point is that if something is afflicting you to the level that it's affecting your religious obligations, then it becomes wajib to take whatever permissible steps are possible to, to get rid of that. Now we come on to the section of the person who is able to have sabr upon it. They're able to have sabr. And they're not, they're, they are still able to worship Allah and their obligations are not being affected. So for this person, now the issue comes that if this person sees in themselves that they have the ability to reach a high level and they want to push themselves further. And in doing so, they, they want to take a number of measures to reduce their reliance on people and increase their reliance in Allah. Then those people, as part of those measures, it could be that they do not seek ruqya, but that they have ruqya performed by someone else without their request, or they read upon themselves. But that has to be part of a group of measures of increasing a person's iman. That in itself is not enough to make a person from the 70,000. 
For example, a person may say, as the Sahaba used to do, for example, that if I drop the whip from my camel, I will not ask somebody to pick it up for me. That is the level to which a person, if a person wishes, wishes to aspire towards that level, then as part of that, they should not go around to ask other people to make ruqya for them. In a more detailed answer, we mentioned the fatwa of Sheikh Ibn Baz ta'ala, in this, and we've, in the ruqya workshop, which, which we've done through Kalima, and it's also on YouTube with the extensive discussion uh, and commentary on it. But the basic answer is this. For some people, they have to do it. They have no choice. If you have the ability to have sabr with it, and you believe that you want to reach a level which is higher than the, than the basic level, you want to reach a level of ihsan and a level which, of iman which is more complete, then as a part of a range of actions, one of them may be that you avoid asking people for things, even in things which are permissible for them to help you with. And Allah knows best. Uh, a question for Ustad uh, Abdurrahman. Uh, why did it take Ayub salam 18 years to make dua for the cure? Is it recommended not to ask for cure, solution as and when we are hit with the calamity? Some of the prophets of Allah, when they were put through calamities, they would not ask Allah for cure until they went through the calamity for as long as they were healthy. So if they felt that their calamity was shorter than the times that they enjoyed themselves, they would wait. And because Ayyub felt that his test and his trial was little in comparison to the times that he had his wealth and his children and his family, he didn't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it. And he delayed it. Except that incident which I mentioned, the two men that spoke at that moment, it got to the point where he felt uh, he said, Rabbi inni masani yadurru wa anta arhamur rahimin. Oh Allah, harm has touched me. And he didn't even say at that moment, Oh Allah, kill me, as I said it. All he did was, Ikhbaru an halihi. He just talked about his situation. And I said, That is a form of a tawassul al mashru' the permissible type of tawassul, which is to use your situation to ask Allah through it. But even then he felt shy to ask Allah directly to kill me because his illness is not as long as what? How long he was healthy. Now. Can we have the question from the brother's side? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Sheikh, you mentioned that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did uh, ruqya on somebody. Do we find a, find a similar example regarding istikhara? That is it allowed for somebody to ask somebody else to do istikhara on his behalf? Is it allowed for someone to ask someone else to do istikhara on their behalf? Wallahi, in this there is something that we worry about. There are two things I worry about in this. The first thing I worry about is that we don't see it to be an, an, or we don't see an example from the sunnah of people asking others to make istikhara on their behalf. What we see is people making shura, i.e. somebody asking, what do you think about this? That person may go off themselves and make istikhara for that, to, as to what they should answer you. But we don't see someone saying, pray istikhara for me. 
The thing that I worry about the most is that this is a way that magicians use to uh, perform sihr upon people through this means of make istikhara for me. And what they are really doing is they are naming something with another name. And we know this principle, al-asma'u la tughayyiru haqaiq, that names don't change the reality of things. So in reality what they do is they do magic to a person, but they call it istikhara. And you make istikhara for me, and it's a kind of like going to a fortune teller. You know, like that this person will tell you what is going to happen tomorrow. And they call it istikhara. So for this reason, we do not think this is permissible yet. However, if a person says, advise me, and the person who is asked for the advice goes himself to pray istikhara as to what advice he should give, and then he gives the, the advice, I don't see any, any harm in that, inshallah ta'ala. Shaykh, you have any in that? Yeah, the dua and istikhara itself at the beginning, it mentions that if a person has a matter which they want, so it's not what someone wants. Hadith mentions if you have an issue, you have it. So it's talking about your issue, not somebody else's issue. And in the Sharia, to consult others is not called istikhara. Allah told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Allah. So mushawara sah. To go to people and consult them, I want to do this, what do you guys think? And they advise you, and then you then go, and you pray your own istikhara. And if it was something that can be done, If there was good in it, and it's something that can be done, as Shaykh Muhammad mentioned, they would have, the pious predecessors would have preceded us in it. Abu Bakr and Umar, and they would have told each other, pray istikhara for me. Any sisters? Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, my question is that what are the signs that can help us to know that whether our toba is accepted or not? You didn't talk about toba in your whole talk? What are the signs that our toba has been accepted? Okay, I'm going to answer this in two ways. The first one, I'm going to answer with an ayah. If I'm not mistaken, it's Surah Maryam off the top of my head. وَيَزِيدُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ اهْتَدَوْا هُدَى Allah gives an increase in guidance to those who are guided. More than one of the scholars uses this ayah, or use this ayah, as a way, as a, almost a yardstick of measuring the acceptance of any of your deeds. That if you do something and you see that the outcome of that action is that Allah gives you guidance to do another good action after that, then this is from the, from the mubashirat, from the, the signs that, your de- that, that can indicate to you that that deed has been accepted. So you see, you know, after you made tawbah, you made tawbah from something and you immediately find the ability to go and do another good deed, and another good deed, and another good deed. And that gives you an impression that that tawbah may have been accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah gave you guidance to do more Good deeds after it. I'm now going to answer with a completely contradictory and opposite answer. But there is a way of joining between them. Which is to say that you don't know. And that is part of the wisdom that you don't know. Part of the wisdom is that you don't know and you have that fear. What did we say when we began the very beginning of the discussion about uh, Yunus alayhi salam? That we said that 
being in a state of hope and fear. إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْخَيْرَاتِ وَيَدْعُونَنَا رَغَبًا وَرَهَبًا وَكَانُوا لَنَا خَاشِعِينَ They used to rush to do good deeds and call upon us in hope and in fear. So you constantly have that fear that maybe my tawbah has not been accepted. Maybe I need to strive even more. So you balance between that hope and that fear. Now that doesn't mean you despair. Because that's not hope and fear. If you, if you have nothing but despair, Allah has not accepted it from me, then that means you didn't join between hope and fear. But you hope that Allah has accepted it. At the same time, you fear. You fear that it hasn't been accepted from you. And we know those people whom Allah Azza wa described in Surah Al-Mu'minun about their hearts. Those people who give what they give in their hearts are trembling. And we know the Prophet said to Aisha that it's not as you imagine, O daughter of a Siddiq. This ayah was not revealed about the one who is the thief and the adulterer and so on. This ayah was revealed about the people who pray and they give, and they give sadaqah and so on. But they are scared that their deeds have not been accepted. So to a certain extent, we have that remains that fear that it hasn't been accepted. But any good deed that you do, and you see that Allah has lightened your chest and Allah has made it easier for you to do something after it, then this is from the, lit, the small signs that something has been you know, accepted from you and an inspiration to keep going, inshallah. And Allah knows best. A question for Ustad Abdurrahman Hassan. Uh, whatever we have is given by Allah. Whatever we face is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we have hardships and tests by Him, can dua change that fate? Is there any evidence from the Quran and Sunnah about the change of fate? Changing faith is in Qadr. Yes. Now, the issue of the Qadr changing, the scholars they say that there is the Qadr, some scholars they say Qadr and Qada are synonyms. What are they? They are synonyms. They mean the same word. They mean the same. And some scholars they say no, they're different. Okay? Qadr means, Qadr means what the angel has written. The angel is given, Ibn al-Qayyim mentions this in his Kitab Shifa'ul Alil, that the angel is, writ, is told to write, if brother so-and-so keeps ties of kinship for his family, then extend his life. And if he doesn't, then let him die at 40. So the angel has two, the two options are written for him. Allah Ta'ala in Lawh al-Mahfud is written what? That so-and-so is going to keep the ties of kinship. And that the person is going to do it. So this is what's written. Like in what the angel has is 40 and it changes towards what? 60 or 70. So which one is changing? That which is with the angel, not that which is with Allah Azza wa Jalla. Because what is written in the Lord Al-Mahfud does not get changed. The hadith, إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ يُجْمَعُ كَالْقُوْ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ أَرْبَعِينَ يَوْمًا نُطْفَةً ثُمَّ يَكُونُ عَلَقَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ ثُمَّ يَكُونُ مُضْغَةً مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ ثُمَّ يُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ مَلَكَ فَيُنْفَقُ فِيهِ الرُّوحِ وَيُؤْمَرُ بِأَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتٍ بِكَتْبِ رِزْقِهِ وَأَجَلِهِ وَعَمَلِهِ شَقِيٌّ أو سعيد. It's all written. It's all documented. So that is written. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he expands on that issue more in his kitab Shifa'ul Alil في مسائل القضاء والقدر والتعليل. Um, my question is that um, sometimes uh, people, like when they they say that uh, I will do a sin, but later I'll say Tawbah, and I will say Tawbah, Tawbah. 
But later, if he actually, with his true heart, later he's like, he wants to do Tawbah, will it be accepted? Mm-hmm. But before he was like, I will just do Tawbah later. But with his true heart, if he does it, is it actually accepted? So if I understood the question correctly, the question is relating to the one who delays making Tawbah. So this person says, I will make Tawbah and I will make Tawbah and I will make Tawbah. And then finally, they are given a chance towards the end of their life and they make Tawbah, will it be accepted from them? There are a few points we need to make about this. The first thing is, don't forget the value of istighfar. Even if you don't find it in your heart that you can't quite feel that full regret and that full, you know, complete submission to Allah, at least if there's nothing else you can do, make istighfar. At least say, Allah, forgive me. You know, even if you still intend to do it tomorrow, at least make istighfar. Because istighfar is essentially asking Allah to cover and to conceal the negative consequences that come about from that sin. And it's easier than tawbah in the sense that you may not fulfill all of the conditions of tawbah, but you still fulfill enough to make istighfar. That is the first thing. The second thing is that delaying tawbah until a later date is a dangerous thing. And it's something which could lead a person that you don't know, that you're go- you don't have a guarantee you're going to be here tomorrow to delay your tawbah. And sometimes a person may delay their tawbah and Allah may seal their heart before they have a chance to make that tawbah. As Allah told us in the Qur'an about the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa nuqallibu af'idatahum wa abasarahum kama lam yu'minu bihi awwala marrah and we turn their hearts and their eyes away, we seal their hearts and their eyes because they did not believe in it the first time. Sometimes you don't get a second chance. That is the next thing. But finally, if a person is given that chance, that last chance, and they make a sincere tawbah in it, where they truly regret what they did, whoever makes tawbah, Allah will accept it. And it's not for us to say that Allah will not accept it. How can we say about the one who is Al-Ghafoor, Al-Tawwab, Al-Rahim that he will not accept that tawbah? But the danger is, are you even going to get to that stage where you can make that tawbah? And many, many people don't get there. Either Allah causes them to die or either Allah seals their heart and they don't ever say words of tawbah. Do you ever think why it is that Iblis didn't make tawbah? And he went at the end of the day, Iblis knows what is coming to him, he knows the merciful nature of Allah. Why did he not make tawbah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He seals someone's heart completely, He doesn't give them the tawfiq, the success to actually make tawbah. And you fear that you may fall under the same situation when you delay and delay and delay. And Allah knows best. Just to add on to that question. Uh, if you repent from a sin, will Allah forgive us? Do we need to repent once or keep asking forgiveness for the same sin again and again? I think we covered some of this in the, to- in the, in the topic. Uh, if you rep- any sin that you do, even if you worship a partner besides Allah, if you sincerely repent from it, Allah will accept it. Allah will accept your repentance from it. There is no sin, there is nobody that can ever get to a stage where they cannot repent. You have at the end of the day, as long as your soul is still within you and you have not yet had your soul seized from your body, then... At the tawbah is accepted from a person until the soul reaches the throat. With regard to continuous repentance, 
There is no doubt that, especially when the sin is great in your eyes and you feel true regret, you, repent, you, you, you feel the need to repent from it more than once. You don't feel like, Allah forgive me, I feel fine now. You know, you feel like truly sad and regretful and sorry. And that means, you know, like when you did something to, to your parents or something, and you, you keep saying sorry, right? You keep like saying to yourself, oh, look, I'm really sorry. Look, you're, you know, two days ago, I'm really sorry. You feel, you feel that regret that drives you to say it more than once. But a single sincere tawbah would be sufficient if it were to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah knows what. Uh, question for Saad Abdurrahman Hassan. I have understood that every believer will be tested with some hardship. We see it in the Prophet's stories. But in regards to Sulaiman we say we see that he was wealthy and happy throughout. So can it be that a slave does not go through hardship and yes, have a, a, a chance of Allah's mercy? In terms of the Quran, when it comes to the prophets, Ibn al-Qayyim, he divided, no, Ibn Taymiyyah, he divided the tests of the prophets into three. Ibn Taymiyyah, the calamities and the tests that the scholars go, th- uh, the prophets go through, he divided them into three. The first one is the one of Nabilah Ayyub, which is Allah puts you through imtihan of your health and etc. The second one is takdibu aqwamihim. Ibn Taymiyyah says that their nations disbelieve in them. And their people become rebellious against them. That was a form of test. And the third one, Ibn Taymiyyah said, he said, An-ni'am, blessings. And he said, this is Sulaiman and Dawood. Nabiullah is Sulaiman and Dawood. Their test was what? Allah. Allah test them with wealth. And Allah test them with what? Leadership and everything. And Allah, Ta'ala, he mentions, وَلَقَدْ فَسَنَّا سُلَيْمَانَ وَأَلْقَيْنَا عَلَىٰ كُرْسِيِّ جَسَدًا خُوَارٍ Dawuda. Nabi Sulaiman, Allah tested him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, Allah says, Surah al Sabah, what does he say? Allah tabaraka ta'ala, he says, before the Lakadiskana li Sabah. Just before that page, halfway. About Nabi Lahi Dawood and Sulaiman. So Allah mentions, Imtihan and ibtila, Allah put, put Nabilah Dawood and, and Sulaiman. So Allah did test all prophets, Ibn Taymiyyah said. There's not a prophet that was not tested. But their tests were in different ways. And the questioner has to understand what we mentioned. Both of them are a test. To just restrict testing. And, calam- and hardship on and hardship and calamities that that's a misunderstanding of the word imtihan and ibtila your children are an ibtila صح? your wealth is an ibtila your money that you have is a test are you going to use that wealth in the right way or are you going to become transgressive and are you going to become hard headed so that's the ayah I was looking for was اعملوا آل داود شكرا وقليل من عبادي الشكور فلما قضينا عليه الموت ما دلهم على موتي إلا دابة الأرض تأكل من سأته فلما خرت بيانت الجن أن لو كانوا يعلمون الغيب ما لبثوا في العذاب المهين These were امتحانات And before that Allah mentioned سبحانه وتعالى What about the story of Nabi Allah Suleyman and Dawood when two people came to them Allah says ففهمناها سليمان وكلن آتينا وحكم وعلم وآتينا دو All these are tests and اختبارات Allah put Dawood and Suleyman through they were tested. 
and they passed their test. They both they passed their test. Touching on the subject of the uh, children, uh, there's a question here. It says, it's a hardship of a parent. It says, uh, a child who refuses to listen and uh, the mom has run out of patience after trying so hard, shouting and screaming, trying any sort of uh, ideas don't work. Shall we make dua only now and be patient? Wallahi, a person who, a child who is disobedient towards his parents, Wallahi, there's, that's the saddest reality. It's, what does a person live for? That's the truth. If you're disobedient to, the, to your mother and your father, and you're going against your parents, and that person, Wallahi, Hafiqa, is on a serious path, an evil path. Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Especially Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was transmitted from him. Bukhari brings in Adab al-Mufrad that he saw a man doing tawaf around the Kaaba having his mother on his shoulders. And then when he finished he went to the noble companion and he said Did I fulfill the rights of my mother on me? And then Abdullah ibn Umar said to him not even a push from the pushes that she, when she was giving you birth is equivalent to the seven times you went around the Kaaba. Seven times he's holding his mom on his shoulders and he's going around that sun, burning sun. And he's what? And then he's uh, carrying her and he's doing that and then he's going to the Sa'i and all of that. And he's saying to Abdullah, did I fulfill my mother's rights? And he goes, the night she was giving birth to you, she pushed many times. Just one of those pushes is greater than what? Scholars, they said he meant by when the push here, I'm a, the, the feeling that the mother has sometimes when she ties her child and she's looking for him she's like, or she thinks that the rope opened and is about to fall and she grabs him that shock that the mother has is greater than all of this you're doing Abdullah ibn Umar said to him and we mentioned the hadith of ثَلَاثَةُ نَفَرٍ مِمَّنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ حَتَّى أَوَاهُمُ الْمَبِيتُ إِلَىٰ غَارٍ فَدَخَلُوهُ فَانْحَدَرَتْ صَخْرَةُ مِنَ الْجَبَلِ فَسَدَّتْ عَلَيْهُمُ الْغَارِ فقال رجل منهم اللهم إنه كان لي أبوان شيخان كبيران وكنت لا أغبغ قبلهم أهلا ولا مالا This man he says I have parents two mother a mother and a father and my two parents I never used to feed anyone before them فنأيبي شجر يوما One day I became late I came a bit late because when the parent reaches age he or she is very old they can't wait for the child anymore because they go according to time they leave so they want to sleep. So he came late. He saw both of his parents sleeping. And he had the two milks in his hand. And so he stood over his parents. He never left their side. And his children, what did they do? My children are crying under my feet. Daddy, give us the milk. They haven't had it yet. And his way was what? Whenever his mom and dad drink and they finish and whatever is left over is what he gives his wife and children. And he said, I'm not going to give you anything. Let my mom and dad wake up. And he stood up until Fajr. And then Fajr, his parents woke up. He didn't even want them to look for the milk. He gave it to them. And then he said, Allahumma in kuntu fa'altu dalika bitigha'a wajhik, fafarrij anna ma nahnu fi. A man came to the Prophet and he said, 
Ya ayyul amari ahabbu ila Allah Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's hadith in Sahihain Which action is most beloved to Allah Azza wa Jal And then the Prophet said As-salatu ala waqtiha The salat at its correct time And then he said Thumma ay And then he said Birru al-walidayn The obedience of the parents Salah And you find it's very common That the rights of Allah is mentioned And then straight after that The rights of the parents are mentioned Allah says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا إِمَّا يَبْلُغَنَّ عِنْدَكَ الْكِبَرَ أَحَدُهُمَا أُكِلَاهُمَا فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفٍّ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا وَاخْفِدْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ الذُّلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ وَقُلْ رَبِّ ارْحَمْهُمَا like in the father can. A person can fulfill his father's rights, but never your mother. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Man wajada, anybody who finds his father as a slave, he finds his father as a slave, and he goes and he buys his father from the owner, and then he frees his father. This father, you, you fulfilled your rights. As a son, you freed your father from slavery. You fulfilled his rights. The Prophet ﷺ said, but not the mother. Never your mom. So if you as an individual have your mom and your dad alive and you have taken from them uquq, disobedience, and they've become upset with you, you are a wretched individual. You are a destroyed individual. Go back to your boat, back, go back to your parents. The Prophet in Yemen, a man traveled, took a riding beast, he came to the Prophet's battlefield. And you all know the Prophet's battles, he was always less than the enemies. Always had less people. A man came, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I have left both my parents and I came to fight with you. The Prophet ﷺ Go back and do jihad on your parents. Meaning strive to their help and their aid. It went so far as so. Asma bint Abi Bakr, she said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, in the Ummi Mushrika, my mother is not a Muslim, she's a disbeliever. And she wants me to keep ties of kinship with her. She wants things from me and she wants. Ummi, shall I keep that ties of kinship with my mother? And he said, yes. Keep your tie of kinship with your parents. Imagine if your parent is what? Believer, it's a Muslim. So a person who wants to become a student of knowledge, who wants to learn the deen of Allah, a person who wants to be successful in this dunya, a person who wants to attain anything, your parents. Now, I think from the point of view of the mother who is going through the difficulties, in this, it might be wise to seek uh, some support and advice from people who can perhaps give uh, a different perspective. The fact that she's tried very, very hard, she's tried to do the same thing. Sometimes you need somebody to look at it from a fresh perspective. You need somebody to look at it who doesn't know the situation. Perhaps book an appointment with one of the Kalima staff, or perhaps you know, have a word with someone, inshallah, that can give you a different perspective. I have a, I'm sure. Sheikh Abdul Rahman has also, and I have a, a lecture on, uh, on dealing with disobedient teenagers and you know, the ways to get around it and the ways to get the message across to them and things like that. So there's a lot of resources available, inshallah, a lot of support available. Sometimes you just need to share your burden with someone and you need to take it from a different perspective, inshallah. Uh, a question for you, Statim. Uh, it's a dua. لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت مظالمين should be included in our everyday life or it should be used wisely for repentance and hardships. Okay, so the question is, 
this dua that we have studied la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimin should this do, is this dua a part of the daily routine or is it something which uh, is uh, specific to calamities i think first of all we have to be clear that there are different types of dua from the point of view of how often you say them there are, there are du'as which have fixed times and situations. So for example, when we have the adhkar sabah al-masa that we say in the morning and the evening, or we have something we say specifically after the salah, when we finish and we give the salam, we have a specific du'a that we say at that exact specific time. At that specific time, we have to bring the specific du'a that is legislated at that specific time. As for this dua, la ilaha illa anta subhanaka, inni kuntum min al-zalimin. There are two things that, come, that are apparent from this. The first is that this dua is definitely legislated when you go through a calamity and you recognize that the calamity was caused by a mistake that you made and you make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is a time when you need to bring this dua. And I don't see any harm in it being as a general dua in terms of at any time where you feel your sins and the weight of it, or you feel the difficulties and you recognize that that's because of your sins, then that might happen on a regular basis. But I don't see that this should be made part of a regular daily routine, because it's not something which is reported from the Prophet ﷺ that he did as part of a daily routine. And there are other du'as of forgiveness which are, like Sayyidul Istighfar, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant, khalaftani wa na'abduk wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'atika mastafa'at. أعوذ بك من شر ما صنعت أبوء لك بنعمتك عليه وأبوء بذنبي فاغفر لي فإنه لا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت أن صون أن الله مسبس السلام عليكم This is the question for Ustad Abd Rahman uh, if a husband rejects his wife, diso- disowns her for a long period of time, even though she's a extremely practicing Muslimah, how long should she be patient with him? Does it become imperative she separates from him? The scholars, they distinguish between matters which are fatwa and masail which are qadha. Some issues, they require sitting with both parties because a fatwa, an answer, is not going to solve the issue at hand. So what it really requires is for a person to sit and to revise the situation. Practical steps are then taken. The man is then notified of what he's done to his wife. And then after that, then a process will be taken in place according to the sharia. Lakin, as a general advice that I could say is the men who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed under them or Allah has allowed them to be married, you have to realize that this marriage comes with huquq and rights. وَلِذَلِكَ The scholars, they took from the Nusus al-Wahyayn, Umar radiallahu anhu, that a man is not allowed to be away from his wife, for example, four months. More than that, he's not allowed to be away from his wife. Shara'an is impermissible. And they took it and derived it from the Nusus al-Wahyayn. Number two is the rights that the wife has on the husband is الرجال قوامون على النساء بما فضل الله بعضهم على بعض وبما أنفقوا من أموالهم فالصالحات قانتات حافظات للغيب بما حفظ الله that the man provides for the woman 
and also his physical help. Because Allah says, الرجال قوامون على النساء بما فضل الله بعضهم This is the quwa. وبما أنفقهم the wealth. So the wife has on her husband, he physically helps her. He physically, he physically helps her. And he aids her. Second thing is that he provides for her financially. If a man feels that he is unable to do those, for whatever reason it is, he's ill, he's unable, then what should be found from him is that the man is good in his words towards his wife and tells her that he appreciates that she's been patient with him for this period of time that he's going through what he's going through. And as for the sister, the advice that I can give her is uh, that this issue should not be made into a fatwa issue but it should be made into a qada-related issue. That it should be taken to a qadi to judge this issue. Um, Wallahu a'lam. We'll have the one question from the brothers here. On an individual level, uh, if we find someone and if we wish to advise a friend or a relative, uh, and if, if we find the person in difficulty, uh, and uh, apparently we find him or her sinning as well, we find the person in difficulty and apparently, apparently we see some sins, apparent sins. So how do we advise such a person? So one of, the, one of the etiquettes or one of the, the rules relating to al-amru bil-ma'roof wa-nahi an-munkar telling people to do good and stopping people from doing things which are wrong is that ultimately you have to do it in a way that brings about the change that you want and doesn't bring about a worse circumstance than the one that you're trying to deal with. And often it's the case, people, advice is very, very, very hard to take, right? People, people struggle with taking advice. So it's very important that the way you raise that with them is very wise. Now that doesn't mean you avoid it, but you pick your time, you choose your words, and you choose the way that you let them know about that. You could, for example, do it in a generic way, like we attended a lesson, we learned about how sins are a fundamental cause for the hardships we go through. And we all need to make tawbah. Maybe, you know, we can share the video with you. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not necessarily bringing something to them that they're going to reject. Because ultimately, whatever you say to them in order to stop them doing something, it has to actually work. As opposed to telling them to not do something which is actually, you know, makes them sometimes have that degree of rebellious nature. And just, you know, they, they just keep doing it even more. Um, Sheikh, what do you think? No, Jazakallah khairan Ustad Tim and Abdurrahman Hassan for this great session of knowledge. May Allah reward you both and increase you in knowledge and give us more opportunities to learn under you. Ameen. After thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I would like to thank Team Kalima who worked behind the scenes to make this seminar happen. The feedback link has been sent on your registered mobiles, mobile numbers, so please do fill in those surveys, really important for us to improve and give you a better quality seminars. Uh, you, brother and sister, can also be a part of the Kalima family by enrolling to multiple programs we offer. Would highly recommend you joining our flagship program, The Essentials, which happens on Friday mornings after Fajr. It's a diploma program. Uh, you can log on to www.kalima.org and register for the next uh, module coming in. You can also support the dawah which Kalima does, uh, supporting it financially uh, by your professional skills, the time you can give to the community. 
With this, I would like to conclude this blessed day. Jazakallahu khairan wa akhirat da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.